0: our Series called Dig Deep, and what we've been talking about is wh- what is God like? Um, you know, what are his characteristics, his attributes, and then how does that affect who we are and how we see ourselves? Oftentimes, how we see ourselves um, uh, has an impact on how we view God, and vice versa, how we view God has an impact on how we view ourselves. And what we've been trying to do is get rid of the false narratives, the things that kind of get caught up with maybe the way we were raised or whatever, these stories that we tell ourselves, things that we tell ourselves. And we we, we want to remove those false narratives and replace them with true narratives and replace them uh, with uh, true ideas about who God uh, really is. We're going to be talking this morning about uh, God's love. We've talked about his goodness We've talked about the fact that he's self-sacrificing. We've talked about um, the fact that he's trustworthy. And this morning, we're going to talk about the fact that he is a loving God. So let me just start off by asking a question. Um, God is here, okay? We believe that he is here in, in this here. Like here, He's here. Uh, he's everywhere, but he's here. And he is thinking something about you right now. Maybe he's like right up by your face. Hey, what's going on? I don't know what, what you know how how that all works, but um, but he's thinking something about you. What what is it that he's thinking about? How does he view you? Is he indifferent? Is he just like, oh yeah, that's that's you know Tom and you know whatever? And I know every everything about him. Oh, he's thinking about Subway, uh, eat, eat fresh right now. I guy know all the stuff around him. Oh, he's cussing in his mind at the pastor, this is terrible, you know. God's thinking about something about you right now. What, what, what is it? And here, here's what I would propose. That how you see that tells yourself a lot about you, and it says a lot about God. And if you're like me, oftentimes God, what God is thinking about me will change depending on what kind of week I had. So if I had, like, a week that didn't have very much sin, then I think he's kind of happy with me. Like, if I look back over the week and I think, yeah, you know what? I did pretty good. Yeah, no, you know, God's, God's happy with me. And if I look back over the week, uh, and I know some people who, like, sin during the week, um, but if I look back over my week and I think I was kind of worse than I normally am or I really did some bad sins or whatever, then I think, ooh, he, he's, he's not that happy with me. These are what we call transactional relationships. And from the time we're very small, we've been taught that relationships are transactional. And so when you're a little kid and you do the wrong thing and your parents are mad and they fold their arms and they say, you listen to me, uh, you know, you're in a lot of trouble. You know that when I do bad things, that, that, that they're mad and when I do good things they're happy and so it becomes transactional some marriages are transactional where you know you 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 think you've done something and now you you should get something um I'll let you fill in the blanks uh remember God's right by your face right now he knows exactly what you're thinking so you know come on let's clean it up a little bit um but, but, but there's transactions, and we have this. We have it when we go to school. You write a paper. You, put, you do whatever, and then you, you turn that paper in, and back comes a grade. It, it's, it's transactional. What I want to submit to you this morning is that God is not in any way, shape, or form in the business of transactional relationships. That what he thinks about you is based on his nature, not your performance. Now, for some of us, as we kind of just allow our minds to think about that, we get a little nervous um, because we start thinking, well, if he doesn't really care what I do, what's the ch- point of even being at church? <laughs> you know, I'd rather be playing golf or I'd rather be like if, if, if it's not transactional. See, we want it to be transactional when we're doing good because then he's gonna, then oh wow, he's, he's stoked and now God is the God of the universe is stoked with me. We don't want a transactional when we do something bad because we don't want him to to, uh, mess us up, you know. Some of us are sitting here in this room and we're thinking about, what does God think about me? I hope he doesn't think about me at all because if he did, he wouldn't be very happy. Well, Jesus was in a culture where this transactional relationship was very well defined by a group called the Pharisees. And so what they had is they had all these rules and regulations. Now, now to give the Pharisees a break, what they believed was that if the nation of Israel would be holy, if the nation of Israel would follow the laws the way they were supposed to follow it, the Messiah would come back and they'd be rescued from the Romans. So they believed that if and, and so they took it very seriously, make sure you 're holy, make sure you 're holy. They took it so seriously, they added rules to just try to like get you know, get as much holiness into the into the country as they can so that so that God would look down and be pleased and send the Messiah to come and wipe out the Romans. This is what, what they believed well, all of a sudden, Jesus comes along, and Jesus acts in a way that it kind of seems like. He doesn't really even care what you're doing. He would hang out with the group, the stereotype. They'd call them the tax collectors and sinners. He would hang out with these people. And and they kind of liked Jesus. They liked hanging out with Jesus. And so to the Pharisees, for their minds their idea was, no, we need to shame the tax collectors and Pharisees. We need to stay away from them so that they know they need to change and be holy because if we're not holy as a group, the Messiah is not going to come back and we're going to be stuck under the Romans under being punished by God. They saw themselves as they were being punished by God. And so it was really important And Jesus comes along and he's hanging around with the tax collectors, he's hanging around with the sinners. And it, it seems like he doesn't even care. That they're tax collectors and that they're sinners. And so, in one particular part, and this is where we're going to stay the majority of the morning, is in Luke chapter 15, in verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. They felt comfortable around Jesus. And because they were comfortable around Jesus, it made the Pharisees uncomfortable around Jesus because he wasn't working on their holiness. He was just hanging out with them, as a matter of fact, if we look in verse two, we can see that, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, "This man welcomes sinners and eats with them like to eat to be, to, to eat was a big deal to be in part of relationship're you 're together you know he's, he not only he not only can hang around him, he eats with them, but these sinners, and so they 're really upset and so um So Jesus kind of knows what's going on, and he he begins to confront this idea, and he says, he tells two stories, um, and he says, you know, a man had a hundred sheep, okay, and one, one leaves. He leaves the 99, and he goes after that one sheep to get it to come back. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, hey, they do do that. That's right, yeah, shepherd will leave the 99 sheep. That makes a lot of sense. Then he, then he told the story about a, some coins. Uh, a person had some coins, and they lost one of the coins. And so they know where the other coins are. They set those aside to go after this other coin, to find this coin. And when, when they fi- find the sheep and when they find the coin, there's great rejoicing because that, those things, those, those, those things that were uh, of value were, were lost, and now they're found again. And, and everybody kind of understands that. But then Jesus tells another story, this story we're going to see, that would have, and I'll try to explain it as I go along, blown their minds, even the, even the tax collectors and sinners. It was so hard for them and their culture to wrap their head around this next story. But it's really important. It's really famous. You guys probably know what it is. It's the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal just means recklessly extravagant. Okay. And so the prodigal son doesn't mean the son came back. The prodigal doesn't mean you're coming back. It means you were wasteful. The wasteful son, the recklessly extravagant son is kind of the and you can, you know, post that on your Facebook that I'm uh, I'm a prodigal. So Jesus continues, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, "Father, give me my share of the estate." Now this is incredibly <laughs> incredibly rude in this culture. This culture is an honor-shame society. You honored your, your mom and your dad. You stayed home. You, the, what you, how you acted was a reflection on the family, and you did not want to shame the family. Okay, you did everything to support the family. And not only was it just the family, community, the town, you could shame your own town. But if you act like a fool, then they, everyone's upset. And, 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 if you, and so if you support the community and you're an honor to the community, this, this is a great thing. And so this is where they are. This guy basically goes to his dad and he says, I wish you were dead. I, I see, when I look at you, all I see are dollar signs. I'm not getting any younger, and I want that money because I got plans, and you're not dying. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to come up and say, show me the money. <laughs> come on, let's go. Now, think about this. In this. It wasn't just like the guy had a 401K that he could just pull money out of, okay? He had land and sheep and cattle, and this was a big deal. Essentially, it would be like you go to your parents and you go, hey, you guys have probably only got 20 more years left if I, if I do my numbers right. Why don't you sell your house and um, move somewhere else and give me some of that money now? So I can, okay, so we're starting to get an idea of just how shameful this would be, but we can't even begin to understand it the way these hearers were understanding this, okay? So he goes, give me my share of the estate. You can see the privilege and the entitlement there in that. So here's what happens. He did it. He divided his property between them. Now, some scholars, uh, in that time, the oldest son would get two-thirds and the the younger son would get a third. The older son would get more. Some scholars think that he actually divided it in half, which would, again, would have been, uh, he'd gotten more than he was supposed to get. But the father went through all the stuff you'd have to go through to take property and sheep and cattle and, and crops. He went through all the stuff to give the son his portion of the inheritance. Now, now, the people listening to this for the first time would have been like, I think the father's got dementia. Like, well, why would he do that? Because what was supposed to happen was you were supposed to be in in this property forever. Your family owned that. And so you would take care of the land and, and then it would be passed on to you and you would pass it on to your kids. And, and so by, by, by taking that and selling part of it, you're losing that for the next generation and the next generation. Your estate just got smaller. Incredibly offensive. But the father does it anyway. Not long after that, the younger son... Uh, got together all he had and set off for a distant country. He leaves the Holy Land to be with Gentiles. Again, jaw drops uh, uh, as the people are listening to him. Uh, he set off for a distant country, uh, country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Again, uh, Unholy for the Pharisees, it's just like he, swam, he, okay. he went to his dad and said, I wish you were dead. Then he made his dad sell a whole bunch of stuff. Then he took it and he squandered it away, not even on investments. Like, it wasn't like he started a business and it failed. It was wild living. And back then, wild living means exactly what it means now, wild living. You, know, you just f- fill in all your blanks in your head. Remember, God's watching, so be careful. And, then, uh, and that, that's, that's where it is, okay? So this is what happens. Now, it goes on. This is where the story starts getting really good. After he'd spent everything, okay, it's gone, No more money. His dad went through all that stuff. He disowned his family, went to a Gentile country, and it's gone. They can't get it back. There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need, something he'd never experienced before in his life. His dad took care of everything. You get the idea from the story that the estate's pretty good size because they've got servants and all this kind of stuff. This guy's never known what it's like to be in need, and now he's in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, a Jew serving a Gentile, again, very offensive, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs, unclean animals, to a Jew. So again, more humiliation is heaped upon him and upon his family. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, which would have been again unclean uh, for their dietary laws. But no one gave him anything. Now, here's the thing if you're a Pharisee hearing this story, or even a tax collector and sinner, the way your mind works is that's what happens. He's getting what he deserves. As a matter of fact, at that time if anything bad happened to you, everyone would just assume, "Oh yeah, God's God's getting them. God's doing that. They deserve it. That that they did something, made a wrong step or made, they'd even tell the person, "Look, just admit it. Just admit that you did wrong. You know, do a sacrifice or whatever." And you're like, "I don't know. I just, you know, somebody ran into my camel. I you know, why why does it have to be a sin? I mean, that's just kind of what happens." And 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 they're like, "No, man, God's God's doing this to you. What did you do?" You read about this in Job, right? Job gets all these boils and family members die and stuff. And his friends are like, give glory to God and just admit it, what you did. Ask for forgiveness. And he's like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I'm not going to admit something I didn't do. This was so ingrained in them that this part right here, no one gave them anything. They're all almost cheering. Yeah, that's right. I wouldn't give them anything anyway. You know, going around. Watch this. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. All of a sudden, he comes to the thing, you know, I, I can't go on like this anymore. And so he starts this speech that he's going to work on to try and talk to his dad about where he's coming from. But he comes to his senses because he's in need. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Now, let me ask you this. He st- doesn't he still see his dad as transactional? I need something, so now I'm going to go to my dad. He didn't say, I miss my dad. You know what? I, I'm out in the fields here. I don't really know anybody. I miss my family. I miss my community. I want to go back and see Uncle Joe, and I want to, you know, I, I want to be back where the family is. No, no, it's all, about, it's all about transaction again. I'm hungry, and he's got something that I need. It's almost like his heart hasn't really changed. Like he's not really repenting. Now, he, he, he does a speech, okay? And he, he has an idea. He says, I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Again, as I was studying this this week, I was thinking, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily mean he's really sorry. This is his plan to get f- food. And he understands, I'm not worthy. And he understands, I, there's no way I I'm, can be a son again. I'm not worthy to be a son. Why wasn't he worthy to be a son? Because of all that he had done. He'd done bad things. And so he's not worthy. When you do bad things, you're not worthy. Now, here's the underlying rhetoric of all this. When I do good things, I am worthy. You see how those transactions work? I do bad things, unworthy. Do good things, worthy. Transactional relationships. Our Heavenly Father is not in the business of transactional relationships, as we'll see in just a little bit. So he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is so awesome. This is gonna answer our question of what God thinks about when he thinks about you. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him after all he had done to his father. He was a bad kid. He was a bad boy. (laughs) He was dishonoring to his dad disrespectful, made his dad sell the property, and the father, while he's a long way off, I don't know if anyone's who has has kids, um, uh, or or you're, you know, you're around, um, like, let's say you're at a park, or whatever, isn't it true that you can see your kid in, like, a second, like, even from the corner of your eye, you're like, you know, you know, one of my kids, if was at the park, and one of my kids, you just look on top of the Uh, like wherever they're not supposed to be and they're probably flipping off of it. So they're easy to spot. But but, but you know how you can just like glance and you're like, there they are, right? I wonder what the father was doing. Now again, this is a parable, so it's all speculation. But I think what Jesus is trying to get to is the fact that he was a long way off. And maybe the father was out working in the field or whatever and just out of the corner of his eye, he's like, I know who that is. That's my son the way he's walking or the way he, you know, whatever, how his hair looks or, you know, whatever. I I could just, I could spot my kids. I could just scan a room and go, there they are, you know. I wonder if that's what happened, if he was just like, that's my son. He's filled with compassion. Now, what did the son do to make his father filled with compassion? What transaction did he do? What did, how did he earn that kind of compassion? How did he change his dad's mind? How did he, what did he do to get, to get his dad to feel that way? Nothing. Our Heavenly Father is not in the business of transactional relationships. He loves because he's love. He has compassion because that's one of the first names that the Bible calls him. Compassionate one. This is who he is. And even though the son did all these disrespectful things, even though the son did the wrong thing, didn't do the right thing, the father sees him a long way off, and he's filled with compassion. You know what he does? He humbles himself. The father humbles himself. He grabs his robe. He would grab it, and he would pull it up so that his legs could run freely when he was running. Very disrespectful, very disrespectful. Humiliating to pull up your robe as a man, and then he just starts heading towards his son. I don't know if you've ever done a speech kind of like like the son, where you're thinking about what you're going to say to somebody that you're going to go talk to. Maybe it's your boss. Right or a teacher, and you like you got you, you want to you know you want to say this thing, and maybe it's you're going to ask for a raise, or maybe you're going to you know tell them you didn't do the report, or you know you, you and so you have your whole speech and you got it all worked out like like he did. You know, I'm not I've, I've sinned against you in heaven. I'm not worthy to be your student. You know whatever. I'm not worthy to be your employee. You know whatever the speech is, and then and then you you get to work and you go to like give the speech, and the boss maybe she's like. Like had a super bad day, and she's like, what, what is it? And you're like, oh, just, you look, your hair looks fantastic. I just, I just, I don't know. I just can't, I just think it's beautiful. I mean, I, you know, I'm married. I mean, you know, I just, I just wanted to say, have a nice day, you know, and then off you go, right? I wonder what the son was thinking when his dad starts booking towards him, like, oh, man. Oh boy, he's mad. I've never seen him run like that. You know, uh, Dad's r- running. You know, and 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 so, like, what was he feeling? Was he like, you know, uh, you know? Did he turn? He's he's running. You know, He's you know, like, uh, you know, I'll get the money back. I promise. You know, everything goes out the window when it comes time to actually give the speech. The father is filled with compassion. And he 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 lifts up his robe and he runs towards his son. And who knows, the son was just like you've frozen or what have you but the son, the father gets to the son he he doesn't let the son fail in this last few steps he sees him and he's like we're going to make this happen now so he runs he's filled with compassion he ran to his son he threw his arms around him and he kissed him he's got him now i don't know you know i, I kiss my son it makes him feel uncomfortable and and that's my job okay <laughs> Quite frankly, as a dad, my job is to make my son feel uncomfortable. That's what I do, okay? Um, but, man, you can kind of get the sense of this dad here where you're like, like, I don't care what, I don't care if he's uncomfortable or nothing, I, I got him. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son feels exactly like we would feel, like, better start with the speech, right? You know, I got it all, all worked out. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father doesn't let him finish that last part. Just make me one of your servants. He's already, he's already moved towards restoration. Like he's already, he's already talking. Like, like, I, like I, don't even, I don't even care what your speech is. Now listen, listen to me. The son, the dad doesn't even know the story. The dad, all the dad knows is that his son's back. And that's what he's operating out of. The son didn't earn anything. The son didn't even really get, I mean, he kind of said he was sorry, but but he he doesn't even get to finish. Who knows if it's even a real apology or not. The father doesn't care. The father's not into transactional relationships. The father loves because he loves. The father loves because it's his son. The father loves because He's loving. And so the, he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And it's almost like as Jesus is telling the story, he doesn't even let the son finish. Like, what, stop talking. Stop talking. The father says to his servants, quick, bring in the best robe and put it on him. Man, don't you want to hear what, I, 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 don't you want to hear that I'm really sorry? I, I, I'll make it up to you. Don't you want to? He puts the best robe on him and put a ring on his finger. That would be a sign that he's, 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 he's part of the family again. And sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. This would be an animal that they were waiting for a great celebration, a wedding or something like that. And he he, he, you know, he, you know, he pulls out the fine china or whatever. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost, and is found, so they began to celebrate, and the son hasn't even been able to tell his story yet, he hasn't been able to start even making up for what he's done, he, he didn't get a chance to even go like, listen, no dad, wait, before you, you do all this, all of a sudden he's like in a robe, he's got a ring, and there's a disco ball going out of like a, above his head, you know, and this is where he's at, and he must have felt really uncomfortable because think about it, in an honor-shame society, you know what everyone's thinking. And he's standing there going, look, I know I don't deserve to be here, and I don't deserve to be in this robe, and I don't deserve to, to, I get it. I don't know why my dad's doing this. I don't know if you have one of those people in your family, the one uncle or the one kid that's just always in trouble, always just being foolish and it's like uh, and you hear another story about him and you're like yep that's old joe you know messing up again we almost like to hear the stories because they confirm what we already knew about them so it's like yeah good yeah no nah, i figured that and so then the cops did what and oh yeah great yeah you know you know tase him you know so imagine you got this kid, kid, or you know, I always make it a dude. So you know, but it could be a, a, a girl. But you know, it's just that kind of life the whole the whole time. Just always something, always something, always something. And then they then they leave. They're gone. and Everyone's like, where are they? I don't know. I don't know. They, could, they could be dead for all I know. The way that the foolishness that comes out of that kid, I don't. And one day they come back and they, 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 they sneak into the house and they steal all the mom's jewelry and they go and they sell it. And, you know, buy a, whatever, drugs or something. And they're gone. Everyone knows it was him. And all of a sudden, one day, he comes up and he knocks on the door. Do, 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 do. And the dad opens the door and is just like, yeah, let's have a party. Party, woo! And everyone in the family is like going, dude, are you kidding me? A party? What? Why don't we make sure he doesn't steal anything first? And then we'll have a party. Why don't we hear if he's changed? Why don't we? It's like the dad's like, no, this is it's crazy. This is what's happening because we want transactions. We want to know he's sorry. We want to know he did jail time. We, we want to know he's changed. We want to see change. Before I cast a party, I want to make sure he's changed. See, if you change, okay, now, now I'll forgive. That's not this father. He says, let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what's going on. He said, your crazy brother is out of jail and he's home now. And and your dad, like, you know sold your car and and got a big dinner going your father's killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound and the brother's response is exactly like you or i would be are you kidding me wait a minute hold on back up okay are you sure it's my brother crazy joe like you're sure it's him yeah i'm sure it's him and my dad did what did he bring the money back did he, like, did he pay it back? Like, what? No, I just, we're just having a party. Like, the fatted calf, the one that, you know, we were waiting to have that, you know, we're going to make up some ribs and, you know, got a Super Bowl fatted calf. Like, come on. So, this is what happens. The older brother became angry, like you or I would be. Why? Because we're in the transactional relationships. We understand them. If, if they do something to hurt, you want to make sure there's restitution, Justice. A transaction has to take place. So the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out again. Look, the father is not going to let his sons fail this. The father went out to the son, just like he went out and he ran to the other son. He goes out to this son. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, which is highly unlikely, but okay. Yeah, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Hmm, okay, that was my best. Wow, SpongeBob, I guess. Anyway, um, so here he is. What, what is he talking about? Transactions. I've been slaving. I've been doing. And you're not doing. I, I've been good. And, and you, you're supposed to be good to me. And he's been bad, and you're not supposed to be good to him. These, these transactions are all bent out of shape. But here's the thing. God is not in the business of transactional relationships because we can never do enough transactions to make up for that kind of relationship. And so he says, uh, I never disobey. And then he goes on and he says, uh, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes. Now, where did prostitutes come from? Like, what, what did, where, when was that in the story? So we have a couple of things going on. Either somebody saw the son and, like, went back and told the other son, like, oh, I found your brother, <laughs> you know, he was with prostitutes. Or the son, which I think more likely just is like, yeah, that would, that's exactly what he'd do. I know him, Crazy Joe. It's with prostitutes. That's how he wasted it all. Who knows? Right? And so he, he, he puts this value upon, like, like he says, what he's been doing is really, really bad. Like that's what he's trying to get across. He's, he's a bad, bad man. <laughs> His waste of property with prostitutes. He comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Now, what the father says next is what I want us to go home with the father begins to uh, address the son and again he's not he's not attacking the young son he's not attacking the old son he's sharing his heart of what's going on you see the older son was all about transactions just like the younger son was the younger son said you got a lot of money and i want to go party so you give me some of your money so i can party The older son is, I did everything for you and you're not doing anything for me. They're no different other than just how they went about disrespecting their father. Viewing him as just, what can I get? Now, Here's what the father says and here's what I think your heavenly father thinks about you. My son, the father said, You are always with me. You're always with me. He doesn't talk about what he did. With is better than do. With trumps do in every relationship. Honestly, think about your kids. Okay, you do all these things for your kids and you, you work and work and work and work and work. You're working 60 hours, 70 hours to try and get everything so that they, they can have everything they need. Would they, would, is that a good relationship or with your kids is a better relationship? With, trumps do every single time. Marriages, get into trouble when people start keeping score. Well, I did this and you didn't do that and I did that and you didn't do that. Didn't. What, about, what about just with? Doesn't that sound healthier? With, trumps do every time because you're not worried about the transactions you're worried about the relationship and this is the heart of your heavenly father he's in this room and he's right there and he's right next to you and he's like i want to be with you i want to be with you yeah but i did this no i i, I know i know that, that all you're doing is hurting yourself with that stay with me and and then you won't do those things and everything will be to, it'll be, the relationship will be healthy. With. So he says, you were with me. Now here's the irony of it. The son didn't care about with. He cared about do. And the, and the father just wanted to be with this eldest son. And now that his youngest son is back, he's with again. He said, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. Don't, don't worry about that. I got you, okay? But we had to celebrate And be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. As we continue in this series, we always have an exercise at the end. Um, And like I told you, they're getting harder. (laughs) So I hope you enjoyed being silent last week, which is... uh, uh, no that wasn 't uh, the last time I preached Bob preached last week but but um, we have two assignments this time, okay The first is this: as I look through that um, that parable it was it was when the son became in need that he wanted to go back to his father. now again, maybe his, maybe his motives were all wrong. he wanted to go back to get fed, but if the goal is with and not do then I was wondering what it would be like to be triggered, have a trigger in my life where I become in need, where I want to run to my heavenly Father, to be with Him. And so we have 21 days between now and Easter. And so what I'm going to be doing, and I hope you join me, is I'm going to go on a 21-day fast. Not, not, not. I'm not going to like be 50 pounds when we're all done. Uh, that I'm going to fast something that I would normally, um, uh, that I would normally just do. I want to take, remove that out of my life so that when I go to do that, I think, you know what? I don't, I want to be with my Heavenly Father. It's a reminder. It's a trigger. Now, here's the thing. Because we're all into transactional relationships, uh, we might get to the end of those 21 days and think because we fasted, we're, now we got it going on. It has nothing to do with that. You can choose not to fast. He's not going to be like, man, you know, she fasted, but you didn't. Oh, I just want to fast something that I remember, I think to myself, you know what, Lord, I, that's right, I'm gonna, until Easter, I'm not going to touch that or do that or see that or whatever, because I, I, I want to I be with you. I want it to be a reminder that you are always with me, and I want to be with you. So that's the first one. And, and again, God can, can, should, can talk to you about what that thing is that you're giving up. Okay, and so, so for me, uh, it might be one thing, and for you, it might be something totally different. Uh, for you, it might be coffee. For me, I'd lose my salvation, uh, and so I can't go without coffee, so I, I, would, I would end up uh, cha- becoming Buddhist or something. And, and so, uh, but, you know, it, it, might, it might be something like that. Every morning, you make yourself a pot of coffee, and this time, you're not going to, and you're gonna go, you know what? That's right, Lord, i want to start my day with you, and, and I want you to fill whatever that thing was gonna fill. It might be some type of media. It might be television. It might be Facebook. It might be, what? no, Facebook, you know, no. uh, I don't know. But here's the thing I do know. I I know that our Heavenly Father is faithful. And as you begin to think, okay, what what would be the thing? What would be the thing? Again, not that you're going to make it harder so that he loves you more and you show your dedication. It's what's going to remind me that I want to be with him, that he's with me. But that relationship is so important. So that's, that's the first one. And we start tonight and, um, and we go until, until, uh, until Easter. And then and you can get off the fast. And here's the second thing. In order to understand non-transactional relationships, we have to understand what it means to love like our Heavenly Father loves. And so for this next week, I would like you to pick somebody that you do not love. Pick somebody that you actually can't stand. It might be a politician. It might, you know, know, be a family member. It might be your neighbor. It might be whatever. The thing that when you think about it, you're just like, ugh. And every single morning when you wake up, maybe you put a little reminder on your thing. You pray for that person. You say, God, teach me to love them like you love them. Teach me to see them like you see them. Just those two things. Teach me to love them like you love them. Teach me to see them as you see them.